We're glad you've joined us on Songs of Praise, an hour of musical reflection to encourage your heart.
shining jewel of the ancient world. Babylon worshiped gods of stone. Power and pride were evil twins that ruled her heart and throne. She was likened to a heart. Fornication was in the wine that filled the cup from which she drank sins of every Would nations, kings, and merchants intoxicated by her wine? The prophets tried to warn her, heed the writing on the wall, turn from her wicked ways. Before the day the wrath of God would fall, oppressor of God's people, Babylon so powerful and strong, she thought she was invincible. Faithful 
Still and know that I am God. I'll be exalted among the heathen. I'll be exalted in the earth. Psalm 46, verse 10. Why are you seeking in sorrow?
Thank you. 
You're listening to Songs of Praise. It's our desire to encourage and uplift your thoughts to our loving Creator God.
There comes to my heart once we strain A glad and a joyous refrain I sing it again and again Sweet peace, the gift of God's love
work will be faithful to complete it in you. If the struggle you're facing is slowly replacing your hope with despair, or the process is long and you're losing your song in the night, you can be sure that the Lord has His hand on you, safe and secure. Never abandon you. You are his treasure, and he finds his pleasure in you. He who began a good work in you He who began a good work in you. To be with. 
Songs of Praise endeavours to draw your heart, mind and soul to a close relationship with your Saviour, Jesus Christ. O Saviour, as my eyes behold The wonders of thy might unfold The creation thou hast made. And yet to think thou lovest me, my heart cries out, how can it be? the cross 
anxious pleading form by cruel nails so bruised and torn knowing thy suffering was for me in grief I cry how can it be
Join us again next time on Songs of Praise, brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio, to enjoy more uplifting music. You are listening to 3ABN Australia Radio's book reading. 
Today, we are continuing with the book Deeply Esteemed, The Life and Ministry of H.C.K. Harker. The reader is Dr. Barry Harker, the author and also the grandson of Pastor Harold Harker, the subject of the book. Here is our reader. Chapter 8. Are We Downhearted? Are we downhearted? A group called. Another group answered, no. The first group called again, shall we come again? The answer came back, yes. Tasmanian soldiers on the boat from Burnie to Melbourne often kept up their courage in this way. The boat had to travel without lights or using radio as a German warboat lurked in the vicinity. The courage of the soldiers on board that boat from Burnie to Melbourne reminded Harold of the greater cause in which he was involved. Many of the soldiers on board never returned to their home state, sacrificing their lives on the Western Front. Those who survived went through hell on earth. If men could do this for their king and country, how much more Harold's lord and master deserved every sacrifice made in his cause. After a brief time in Melbourne, the family sailed from Melbourne to Adelaide, South Australia. Sister Todd, the wife of the conference secretary, and her daughter Ethel met them and took them to their place to stay until they found a place to live. The family moved into a place vacated by the Westermans in Baldwin Road, Prospect. The church, with the church school at its rear, was in the same street, Harold's sister Laura was nursing at Matron Clapp's sanitarium a couple of streets away. Harold found Adelaide a difficult place in which to work. Adelaide is known as the City of Churches, having acquired this label because of its religious vitality and its numerous churches. But in 1916, religious tolerance in Australia was fraying and Adelaide was facing exceptional challenges in this regard. The military conscription referendum in Australia in 1916 resulted in a slight win to the no vote, with Dr Daniel Mannix, the Catholic Archbishop of Melbourne, one of the most prominent anti-conscription activists in that campaign. Australia was polarised and sectarian feelings were running unusually high. Also, anti-German feeling was particularly strong in Adelaide, which had a sizable population of German-Australians. Thousands of German-Australians were detained in internment camps, the majority of whom were held in South Australia. As German-Australians made up about 10% of South Australia's population, normally tolerant Adelaide was a troubled place. Ironically so, because the many religious refugees from Germany who flocked to South Australia in the 19th century found a refuge there. The religious undercurrent that Harold found there was in contrast with the attractiveness of the city. Established in 1836 as the planned capital of the free British settlement of South Australia, Adelaide was a beautiful city with wide streets and large public squares surrounded by parkland. The picturesque Torrens River ran through the city. Harold busied himself with work and establishing a vegetable garden at home. He planted tomatoes in the small strip of garden in front of the house and staked them. They produced a heavy crop. He also grew pumpkins in the backyard. The vine covered the fence and one pumpkin was so heavy it was amazing that it did not fall off the vine. Pastor Lemke, the conference president, 
lived a few streets away and had a big fig tree in his yard with large purple fruit. He shared the figs with Harold. Harold was soon asked to go to Angerston in the Barossa Valley to run a mission there. Angerston and district lies to the northeast of Adelaide and its population was largely German-Australians. The early name of Angerston was German Valley. The family lived in an old post office building with the post office section used as the hall. A lady lived in a separate flat to the side of the building, which was cold and damp. From the back fence, the children were able to see the train engines go onto the big turntable before returning to Adelaide. Laura and Winifred attended school there, but did not enjoy the experience. Some children threw stones at them and called them names. Brother O. Hellestrand assisted in the mission. He and his wife and daughter came to live not far from the hall. The Zoinet, Roanfelt, Rathail and Backhouse families came from nearby Nuriupta to support the mission. Harold had his evangelistic sermons printed in the local paper to help get his message to the people. The children loved to visit the homes of other church members where they could slide off the shed roof onto the haystack. After Angerston, the family moved to Bury on the Murray River near the Victorian border. They spent the summer of 1917-1918 there. There was no accommodation available except the hotel. Harold and Will Chapman, his assistant, pitched the big tent on a corner block and two small tents beside it in which the family lived. Will Chapman lived in a partitioned-off section at the back of the big tent. The horse spent much of its time in the shade of the lone gum tree in the far corner of the block. Harold and Will went to their only neighbours, who lived in a brick house on the hill, to bring back water. The water that was not used for drinking and cooking and watering the horse was put in a galvanised bathtub and left in the sun. It became the source of hot water for washing dishes and clothes and for bathing. For much of the time the temperature was in excess of 100 degrees Fahrenheit or more than 40 degrees centigrade. It was so hot that water was carted from the river to throw over the tents to cool them down. All cooking was done on a primus stove. A homemade Coolgardie safe kept food cool. It was made of hessian on all sides and a large tin dish. The size and shape of the top was filled with water. Pieces of grey flannel were placed in the water and overlapped the sides, creating a cooling effect. The feet of the safe were placed in jam tins, half filled with water to keep the ants out. Mosquito nets were put in place before sundown. Before morning, ants streamed up to the blood spots on the tents where mosquitoes were swatted. The ground was so hot that it was impossible to walk on in bare feet. It was a particularly difficult time for Anne, who was expecting another baby in March 1918. There was a small empty shop opposite the tents and down the street towards the river was a small tin post office store. Near the river was a hotel, close to where the paddle steamer stopped. During the mission, Harold and Will drove out to see the orchardists, many of whom lived in makeshift houses made of timber uprights but walls of bagging or hessian painted with lime and whitewashed. They were usually lined with newspaper, which was glued to the hessian. It was harvest time, 
and the lovely peaches and apricots were split and sun-dried on wire netting. Harold took Laura and Winifred to help split fruit on several occasions. The children were permitted to eat fruit that was too ripe to split. The family's last night in Berry was spent sleeping in the open. The hotel put beds outside for them. It was bright moonlight and the mosquitoes were terrible. The next day the family caught the paddle steamer and sailed to Renmark. That night the paddle steamer left Renmark for Adelaide. It was a slow, meandering journey as the steamer navigated around sandbanks. Harold moved his family into a little weatherboard house in Wakefield Street, Kent Town. At the end of the street was a big park and on the other side of the park was the Adelaide Zoo. The house was close to the road. Every night a man came and walked up and down the street with a long taper to light the gas street lights. The backyard was small. A grapevine covered the trellis over the path to the shed at the rear of the yard and there was an old well near the back door of the house. When all the children were sick with diphtheria, Anne had a difficult time caring for them. Not long after the family moved in, Anne gave birth at home to Phyllis Evelyn on March 13, 1918, attended by a doctor and a midwife who had come from Berry with the family. The midwife was a new convert. Laura, Winifred and Stanford experienced some hostility at school from other students. The war in Europe continued and religious tensions remained high in Adelaide. Harold decided to conduct lunchtime meetings at the Islington Railway Workshops in North Adelaide. It was a decision that led to one of the most memorable experiences of his life. Don't forget to tune in next time for the next chapter of Deeply Esteemed, the life and ministry of H.C.K. Harker. If you have any questions or comments in relation to today's program, you can call 3ABN Australia Radio within Australia on 02 4973 3456 or from outside of Australia on country code 61 4973 3456. Our email address is radio at 3ABNAustralia.org.au. That is radio at the number 3 ABN Australia, all one word, dot O-R-G dot A-U. Our postal address is 3ABN Australia Inc, P.O. Box 752, Morissette, New South Wales, 2264 Australia. Thank you for your prayers and financial support. Two-tip lady who loves to give two tips to help make your life more simple. I've got a question for you. Have you heard the rasping, buzzing, pulsating, often ear-splittingly loud, buzz-soaring singing of cicadas? Yeah, singing, really? Well, I live in cicada country. 207 recorded species live in Australia and there are more than 3,000 species in the world. 
I reckon we've got a lot of them at our place. I'm sure that wherever you are, you'll have heard their deafening cacophony on a hot summer day. I heard someone say to me recently, Marilyn, kindle your independent spirit. Hmm. So while musing on this, I trotted off on my daily walk, and while I meandered through the dusty, dry, hot bush, I was surrounded by the almost deafening shriek of multitudes of cicadas. I had to stop, fascinated, as the incredible sound seemed to envelop me in waves, ebbing and flowing, just like the waves of the sea. And I wondered if the humble cicada has an independent spirit. I've concluded that I don't think so. I don't think there's an ounce of an independent spirit in a cicada because the bush can be still and silent. And then it seems that suddenly one cicada conductor raises his baton and says, come on boys, let's go. And they simply do what they're told to do. Perhaps the conductor of the cicada orchestra is the only independent spirit there. Or perhaps he is responding to a built-in signal too. Do you simply do what you're told to do? Or do you do what everyone else does without thinking, just because they do it? Have you capitulated in some areas? And are you doing just what everyone else is doing because it's just the dumb thing? Who hasn't at times gotten tired of hearing a toddler asking why? 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 I have a feeling it would be good for us to ask the same question far more than we do. And since we're not cicadas, and since God gave us the ability to think, and since he has given us the freedom to make choices, then I think we need to ask questions far more often and take time to research, if we must, to find the answers and then choose our actions. Once upon a time, quite a long time ago, we chose to educate our kids at home. We did some research. We asked questions. We made our decision not to follow the conductor and we're glad we did. We chose to research what we eat and put into our bodies. We made our decision not to follow the well-worn paths everyone else followed and we're glad we did. We chose our reading materials. We still have to choose our watching habits and we're glad we can choose. We don't have to follow the leader. We don't even have to listen to all the so-called news. We can choose what we're going to focus on. So my tip number one today is to ask yourself, why am I choosing to do this? And then tip number two is to ask, what will I choose to do? We're not cicadas born with instincts that control our lives. We're human beings made in the image of God. And he gave us freedom to choose our actions and thoughts. Isn't that wonderful? Let's choose the best. Fill our minds by meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling and gracious. The best, not the worst. The beautiful, not the ugly. Things to praise, not things to curse. So let's ask ourselves, why do I choose to do this? And what will I choose to do? We're not cicadas responding instinctively. We're humans who think and choose. Do this and your life will become more simple guaranteed. That's it from the two-tip lady today. 